Now, I've talked to some of you individually, and you know that I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you've allowed me to, to be the youth minister for our kids. I really am. It's, I've learned a lot personally, and I hope they in turn have learned some things also, <clears throat> and I think they have. You know, just prepping for the daily lessons or the week, I mean the weekly lessons and stuff, you, you're going to learn yourselves and you convey that back to them. Our experience is like <clears throat> going to church camp, believe for junior high school kids, superstar for fourth and fifth graders, the high schoolers. We're going to go on a week trip here in a minute. Those are times where you have given me the opportunity to, to put the world aside and just to focus on Christ and God, and I'm so thankful for that. The church camp this year, the theme was ready, set, go. Ready. Are you ready? Is what we asked the campers to evaluate in their spiritual lives. Are you ready to meet that person, that perfect judge someday? Are you ready? What's your spiritual condition look like? Through a series of lessons and activities, once they came to the conclusion as we have that we are dirty and we're sinful people, what can I do about that? We showed them Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And they were set, ready, set. They were set in that belief. And then on Friday, they left church camp. Go. And I hope that we had a small part in preparing them to live a life committed to Christ, to obey his word, not just be hearers of his word. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at a body of scripture that is often laughed at by the world. But to us, to believers of Jesus, it brings us great joy. Then based on some scriptures we investigate, we're going to conclude our service. And like church camp, we're going to go. We're going to go out into the world and we're going to hopefully be changed for the better in our relationship with Jesus. This beautiful piece of scripture we will study this morning comes from the book of John. The passage is so clear, it's so wonderful that the kids memorized this in Sunday school. And then they came by my office and they recited it for me. And I, you know, they come by and they do that every Sunday. I like to think it's because they like to see me and hang out with me. But I know it's because I give them sweet treats and ring pops. But I'll make the same deal with you. If we memorize if you memorize John 14, 6, our key scripture today, come by my office and I'll give you a ring pop, okay? <laughs> Let's get started. The scene is the upper room. The speaker of our primary verse is Christ himself. The time is right the night before the crucifixion. His audience is his small band of, of followers, his 12 disciples, and they are confused. He has washed their feet. He has shown them that he has come to serve. He's told them that one of them will betray him. And we know that ends up being Judas. They even hear that their leader, their spokesman, Peter, is going to deny the Lord three times. They are confused. They are wondering what is going on. What Jesus tells them in these next couple verses comforts them, and it can comfort us in July of 2017. Let's read from the Gospel of John this morning. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you 
told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Implied in that is, we want to be with you. I want to go with you, but I don't know the way. Where are you going? And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There are many truths in the Bible that are not hard to understand at all. They're just hard to swallow for the unbeliever. They're hard to swallow because they're offensive to our sinful flesh. They react against what we think makes sense. They're opposite of what we hear in the fallen world and counter to our way of thinking. In Jesus' teachings, he said many truths that a sinful man has a hard time swallowing. This passage is one of them. Here Jesus says he is the only way to heaven. Contrary to what the world teaches, what we hear in school, what we hear on talk show, on Oprah, what we hear on the news, what we hear at universities, that there's many paths that get to heaven, and you can just choose one of them, and they'll end up there. No. Here, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. Here, our Lord says, every other religion in the world leads to eternal destruction. And there's no ambiguity, no lack of clarity in his statement. It is clear, and as we read it, it is simple. It reveals there's no other path where one may come to God or ascend to heaven except through Jesus Christ. In the previous two verses, he has spoken of the way. Thomas asked him, what is the way? And Jesus tells him the way, that he exclusively is the way, personally the way to the Father. Religion is not the way. Being religious is not the way. Good works are not the way. The very fact that you're sitting in this pew right now is not the way. Jesus says, I, I am the way. Jesus Christ himself is the way to the Father. The way speaks to me of a path or a road. A path or a road has a beginning and an end. So if you said, Mark, what is the way to your house from church? Because I want to come over tonight at 5 o'clock, which I forgot to announce. There is swimming if you want to come. Um, I want to come over at 5 o'clock to swim at your house, Mark. What's the way? Point A, point B. How do I get there? And the way Jesus is talking about here is point A, us, in our sinful state of existence. Point B, eternal glory with the Father. There's no other way to get from a sinful world, our sinful state, to eternity with him in the Father's house, except through the way that Jesus is going to supply for us and has supplied for us. Because we're separated from God, right? And we need to find a way back to him. 
Adam in the garden, sin separated him from God, and he walked so closely with him for a while, and since sin happened and God threw him out of the garden, there was a separation there. And likewise, since that first sin and every other sin committed in our lives and other people's lives, it drives this division between us and God. We're separated from him. That's why there must be a way back to him. Jesus didn't come just to show us the way. He didn't come just to point to it. Oh, it's over there. He came to be the way himself through his sinless life, through his death on a cross. The reconciliation process of the cross where Jesus, who committed no sin, who perfectly obeyed all the laws of God, faithfully bore our sins with his death on a cross. The final sacrifice where all of our sins, all of our sins in this room, all of our sins in Chatham, the United States, were heaped up, gathered, and placed right on him, right on the cross. He bore that for us. And all of his perfect righteousness was then come placed on us, transferred to our account. Jesus is the way. He says in Matthew, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus is the narrow gate. There's only one narrow gate, one narrow path to eternal life, and that's faith in him. No one comes to the Father except by him. In fact, when he died upon the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two, top to bottom, signifying now that we have access to the Father. And that's only possible through the blood of Jesus. Because the, the, the path is broad that leads to destruction. And when we were in Israel, we saw a lot of these narrow paths. And they were quite narrow. If we as a congregation, all 110 of us or 20 of us or whatever, stood side by side, obviously we couldn't walk shoulder to shoulder down this narrow path. Jesus used his surroundings to drive points home. And here he says, I'm the narrow gate. Come through me and get on the narrow path. What do we have to do? There has to be a leader on there. And Christ needs to be the leader of our lives, of our church. We must follow him. We must submit to him on the narrow path. Because if you get off the narrow path, as we see in this picture, there's danger. They knew that they got off the narrow path, that they were going to die physically. This is, what, this is their surroundings. It made sense to them and likewise with us. If we get off the narrow path, broad is the path that leads to destruction in our spiritual lives. So the question this morning, the question is, are you on the way? Are you on the narrow path? Are you on the way? Not are you in church this morning. Not are you, were you raised by Christian moms and dads. Not do you live in a Christian nation. Are you personally on the the narrow path, are you on the way? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you committed your life to follow him with everything that you have, with all of your being? There's no other way than to take the decisive step of faith 
to repent of your sins, to shun the world and its influences, and to follow him along the narrow way. There's not two ways. There's not three ways. There's not seven ways. There's not ten ways to the Father. Jesus says, I am the way. And he's very clear about it. He says, I am the way and the truth. They are bound together. The only way to access the way is to receive and accept truth. Again, in our culture, what do we hear? What do we hear in schools? What do we hear when we turn on the TV? What do we hear in universities? What do we hear when talking to friends? Is that there is no more truth. Truth is what you make it in your mind. Apply it to your situation. Therefore, what I say is truth is truth for me. You can't tell me what your truth is. My truth is mine. Jesus says, no. I am truth. I am the absolute truth. I am the perfecter of truth. I'm the revealer of truth. Right? I am the way and the truth. John chapter 1 backs that up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He, meaning Jesus, was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being by Him, by Jesus. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it every word of scripture we read is the word of christ he is the author of the bible he is truth he is the truths that we uncover in the word so what does jesus and the word in his truth say about how we enter the way let's look at some scriptures and let's find the common denominator here john three fourteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Let's go to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's go to John 3.18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name, the only begotten Son of God. Let's go to the end of John chapter 3. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Notice here, please notice here, That Jesus expands his teaching and says, believe and obey. They are synonymous. They're parallel to each other. Active faith always is is worked out in obedience. True faith is stepping out in obedience. Being on the narrow way includes obedience. John 6, 36 Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Please note again the parallelism. To believe in Christ is to come to Christ. It's to receive him, to cast yourself on the mercy of Christ, to reach out with arms of faith, to receive him as Lord. John 6, 47, stated in very, very simple terms. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And at the end of John, chapter 9, my last example, where Jesus has healed the blind man born blind on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees are questioning this blind man. And they're saying, who did this to you? And they call Jesus a sinner. And he says, I don't know if he was a sinner. All I know is I was blind. And now I see. And they cast him out of the synagogue. And Jesus approaches him at the end of chapter 9 and says, in 35, we read, Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, And who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he's the one who's talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Our Lord is the author of truth, the perfecter of truth, the one who delivers us truth through the scriptures we just read. We hear that one must believe on the finished work of the cross to receive eternal life. Is believing in this wonderful, wonderful news, is believing in this shown out by living the same old life we always led prior to believing? Is believing in this shown out by living just like the world lives? I don't think so. I think the kind of belief Jesus is talking about here calls for a response. It calls for us to... To respond, it drives for to us to repent, to recognize our sinful nature, how cruddy we actually are, filled with evil thoughts, and the saving belief then prompts us to die to self. Die to those desires which are not good. They are not holy. And to do the will of the Father. To take up our cross, to follow Jesus. To, I love you so much for what you did. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow you anywhere, regardless of what I have to do. I'm going to look into my life and I'm going to change. I'm going to die to self, regardless how painful it is. What if, what if my dad says, that is stupid, son. What are you doing? I, don't care. I believe I'm going to respond. I'm going to do it. What if my child says, dad, you're no longer fun to hang out with. I don't. It doesn't matter to me because I believe in what Jesus did. That's the response we need to have when we hear this good news. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is life. In him we find meaning for our life on earth. And through him, he alone secures us eternal life. Eternal life. Heaven, the Father's house. Not hell, heaven. Eternity in the presence with God. It's out of love that God sent Christ for us so we could have life in him. Romans 5, 8. A verse we've all heard before. Let's, let's think about it a little deeper today. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice who loves us. God loves us. Take a minute and just let that soak in. That the infinite God of the universe, who's always been in all ages past, who 
through his might and power, created everything. The galaxies. He's the God of the galaxies. We look and it goes on and on and on. He is the God who created that. The planets flung the stars out into existence. The God who created our earth, who bent down, formed us, and breathed life into us. That God. God loves us. This holy, righteous, all-powerful God. He's infinite, meaning he's without beginning, without end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Therefore, so is his love limitless. There's nothing we can do to where God will run out of love for us. It's limitless, like he is. It's a love that we, we can't understand. It's beyond comprehension. It's beyond comparison. That the God who was and is forevermore shall be forevermore, loves us, loves me. Wow. And gave us life in Christ. And when did he do this? When we look at this verse, when did he do this? He did it while we were yet sinners. He loved us long before we ever loved him. He loved me when I was totally unlovable. He loved us when we were offending him. He loved me when I was rebelling against him daily. The times in my life where I rebelled against him, when I read his word, I didn't apply it. I didn't care. I didn't want to do what I wanted to do. Life was about me, satisfying me. It's my world. What makes me happy? I'm rebelling. He's God. He still loved me. Even in that state. His love for us will never change. God loved us long before we came to him, long before we were looking for him, long before we decided to follow him. He loved us. In 1 John 4.19, we read, We love because he first loved us. He's the great initiator of this love. He's the great pursuer of this relationship. He loved us, his creation, long before we ever knew him. When we're dead in our sins. So we follow him now on the narrow path. Matter of fact, before you were even born, God loved you. We read in Jeremiah where God loved or knew him while he was in his mother's womb. But it goes back farther than that. It goes back 2,000 years ago to the cross. We read John 3.16 earlier. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. It goes 2,000 years ago. God showed you he loved you through the cross. And it goes back farther than that even. If we read in Ephesians chapter 1, 4 and 5. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will, he chose us. He loved us. He predestined us to be adopted back into his family. What a love story. A love story that the creator of God, what he will do, how he will pursue us, his creation. That before the foundation of the world, nothing is out there. Nothing before the foundation of the world. He loved us. Before time began, not with words, not with feelings, but he acted. He's given us the greatest gift of all, his son. It's the love of God that sent Jesus into the world. 1 John 
4.9. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so we might live through him. And what this verse in Romans we looked at while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, but it doesn't tell us is why. Why? Why did God love me? Because there's really nothing when you look at me or look at you that there's something about you that drew God, that made him love you? Really? Is there something within you that would make a holy, righteous, pure, blameless God love you? All the sin that you've done? We need to know that there's nothing we've done that's moved God's love for us. He chose to love us. God, from within himself, decided and chose, I'm going to love them. It's an action totally from within himself. He chose to love us before the foundation of the world. In Deuteronomy 7.7, we read, The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God has chosen to love us. It's his choice from within. Let's, let's remember that as we get ready to go. As we get ready to go in a little bit, let's remember that. That while we were helpless, while we were separated, while we were condemned by his law, while we were filthy lawbreakers, while we were without hope, while we were spiritually sick, while we were on this broad road to destruction, while there really was nothing in us to love, God intervened and he chose to love us. And he sent us his son, who is life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When you slow down and think deeply into that verse, I, I just pray that the Holy Spirit is touching your heart in some way. Convicting you that in your rebellious state, you need to find the way back to God. Or if you're a committed follower already of Jesus and you already accept and believe the fact that he died on the sin, died on the cross, excuse me, for the forgiveness of sin, and he thoroughly washes you clean before the eyes of God, I pray that the Holy Spirit touches you and convicts you of a truth, a truth that we read in his word that you're resisting. Look, we all have our struggles. I get that. I have them too. Believe me, this flesh is at war with the spirit within me. We can't resist the truth. We have to realize this is truth and I have to die to self and I have to submit. Know that God's love never ends. Recommit yourself this morning to him and address that area in your life that brings no honor to him.
because he first loved us and has provided us life through Christ. As a result this morning of believing in the truths of Scripture we read, let's leave here and let's live lives that honor the Father.